Hello, everyone. My name is Jen Fry. I am on the Visioning Council for the Organization of Nature Evolutionaries. And I am so grateful that you are here with us today. And I um, want to welcome you to our Nature Evolutionary webinar series, where we delve deeply into what it means to be in co-creative partnership with nature through dynamic explorations into consciousness raising that is at the core of one's vision of a world where people and nature are co-creative partners and all life has the right to thrive. I want to especially thank our members and donors for making possible today's webinar. Hashtag land back with Tate Walker. Tate Walker. <laughs> Tate Walker is Lakota citizen of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe of South Dakota. They are an award-winning two-spirit storyteller um, whose works have been featured in various national news and magazine outlets, as well as a contributor for several anthologies. Tate recently released their first full-length illustrated poetry book, The Trickster Riots which is the best poetry book I've read. And that's saying a lot because I love poetry. So Tati's poems are current and relevant to the times we are living in. They're unabashedly honest, authentic, and vulnerable. And reading The Trickster Riots was like a great therapy session for me. Some poems just hit me in the heart, some in the gut, some had me crying huge tears, which even just thinking about it now makes me want to cry. Um, some had me laughing out loud and others I simply had to pause and breathe and just let the words percolate throughout my soul. So if you've not read Trickster Riots, clearly I highly recommend it. And um, you can learn more about Tate's work and also get the link to their book at J Tate Walker. It's J T A T E Walker.com. So it's my incredible honor to welcome you today, Tate. Thank you for being here. I, I, I usually joke, I just cursed you in Lakota because it's a fun way to like break the ice, except that that was probably one of the best intros I've ever had, Jen. Thank you so much. Um, it's you and my mother now who have given me <laughs> such such fantastic feedback and that's so meaningful to me. Really, really appreciate that. Um, the This book, Trickster Riots, is nothing if not a heart work and to hear that it had that effect on you is, is so... Um, uh, that's, that's why we did it. That's why my kiddo and I made this book. So, um, yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Um, great intro. I, I'm looking forward to the recording so I can rewind it back and just be uplifted and filled by it. Great. Well, just know that I, I mean every word and it doesn't even come into, uh, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not the full impact also. Um, but so I was going to wait to talk about this, but you mentioned your kiddo. So um, your kiddo, I think, has a particular role in this book. You want to share with our audience, please? For sure. It's one of my favorite parts, I think. So when the Trickster Riots was just a mere idea and as a sort of backup, I've been a journalist, a newspaper magazine journalist for 20 plus years. I still freelance. It's, uh, it's my um, go-to in writing. I have quite a few non nonfiction books actually coming out as part of anthologies and 
really academic-y kind of writing and poetry has always been sort of my journaling, like that sort of help <laughs> therapeutic uh, way to sort of release what I wanna say that I can't say in journalism. Um, and so as this idea was coming uh, with the publisher here in Phoenix, it's Abalone Mountain Press. She's the first uh, Diné uh, publishing house um, ever and that's pretty special to me and she um, offered to publish and I was like yes and uh, as we we're uh, scheming some ideas for the cover my kiddo happened to be there and they were 12 at the time and uh, when we got into the car they showed me some sketches that they had had uh, for the book trying to uh, for the book cover I should say because there was a lot of discussion about who would be the artist for the cover and there's so many fantastic indigenous artists, especially here in the Phoenix Valley. And um, it became clear that we really wanted to be intentional about this being um, as much as possible a Lakota or a Chedi Shakoi uh, publication production. So, um, so my kiddo had sketched something that looked a little similar to this, which is part of now the poem, um, I want a Lakota for president. And we had, <laughs> Just finished watching V for Vendetta, if you've ever seen that um, very protesty Guy Fox, uh, French uh, revolutionary guy. And then you have the trickster who's in Lakota is Iktomi, the spider. Um, and I was blown away, first of all, by the image, but also kind of freaked out a bit. I was like, oh, I think this is a little bit too intense for a cover, but let's talk about, you know, let's talk about it more. And um, they sketched and sketched and they were looking at other poems that I had written and um, <laughs> It was uh, uh, within like a couple of days, my publisher was like, maybe would you be interested in having your kiddo illustrate all the poems? And it was kind of like, let me think. Yes, of course. So that 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 was something um, uh, we really started working on almost a year ago to the month, really. And uh, my kiddo had just transitioned. Um, they came out as trans non-binary uh, the start of the pandemic, actually. And uh, this real this poetry book really became uh, a great way for us to connect and sort of um, look at how our relationship could grow. I mean, we were always, you know, mother and child, but um, I, I'm also, uh, I'm a two-spirit two in my, uh, recognized two-spirit in my culture, my, um, in Lakota culture. And uh, just as a quick reminder, there are 574 federally recognized tribes in the United States alone each one of them have their own ways of politics and culture and understandings and philosophies. So I'm only speaking from a Lakota standpoint when I talk about like, you know, indigenous queerness, it's, it's my Lakota culture that I'm informed by. So just as, you know, if you're in a different part of the country, wherever you're from, you know, get to learn your native folks there and um, they probably have their own ways of thinking about things like queerness or even motherhood. Right. Anyway. And so um, this, uh, yeah, this book, uh, with every poem that we collaborated on with not just uh, how they were interpreting the poem, but um, um, also the energy that goes into creating this book. So in Lakota, and part of that whole mitake oyasin, right, the theme of this presentation, really, that um, all my relations, all, all my relatives, is really infused within this. Um, there's an idea within mitake oyasin that the energy you put into things, whether that's, you know, work in a capitalistic term of work, whether that's um, cultivating with, uh, you know, the earth and land, plants and animals, whether that's um, artistic work, uh, even, even caregiving, right? 
the energy you put into those things transfers. And if you have a, if you've had any if, uh, plant relationship, you kind of understand this maybe a little better than some people because um, I don't know about you guys, but I always talk and sing to my plants, right? And I know those plants that get sung to more often than some of the other ones do a lot better. They thrive, right? Uh, and uh, I don't know what the science is behind that, but I'm certain there's something there, right? And so that's the same thing with this poetry book. If we were having a bad day, if my kiddo or even me were like frustrated, we stopped what we were doing intentionally and we're like, we got to bring this back at a different time because we're not in a good headspace. We don't want that energy to transfer, right, to this artwork, this, this hopefully a gift that we're looking to give to other people. And so um, I can guarantee when you read these poems, you're reading the best of my kiddo and I. So I uh, appreciate you bringing that up because it's, uh, that's probably my favorite part of the whole thing is that it's totally my kiddo and I just doing our thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't realize that they were your um, kiddo. And also, um, I, I mean, I don't know. I somehow missed that they were 13 too. <laughs> So, uh, but the illustrations just blend so perfectly with the poetry and they both add to one another. It's so, uh, it's so incredible. And then just in preparation for this, I realized that, yeah, they're your kiddo. And I was like, wait, what? And I just imagined that whole, what that must've been like to work together. And um, cause you know, 13 is a challenging time. And as you said, they just came out too. So I'm sure there's all kinds of emotions and things there too. So what a great way to bond. And I also imagine heal. Um, Very. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, well, I guess part of the rest that I want to say there is also that uh, we don't have to go into depths here, but I know from your own experience, uh, you had a very different experience as far as coming out queer and and even realizing that aspect of yourself so what a what a beautiful gift right yeah uh you know we're actually this weekend is phoenix pride and um here in arizona and i don't know what it's like for uh, other folks in other states but uh we have a big problem with uh inclusion of of uh, queer and trans folks here um and so uh you know we've we've had to testify just to prove that we're human, right? <laughs> um, just to have rights to use a bathroom or play a sport. Um, so my kiddos had challenges, but um, uh, not from family, I should say. So uh, that that was definitely something uh, um, different. And I think really um, when it comes to the book that we worked on together was uh, that, that led to so many great conversations, right? Like, well, you know, what's conversion therapy? <laughs> You know, I'm so glad you have to ask. I'm so glad that's not a normal, a normalized, uh, normalized conversation for for my kiddo. Whereas, you know, as a queer kid coming out in Bismarck, North Dakota, it was, it was the standard. So, um, that's uh, you know, those differences in generation and those differences in just like the understandings uh, we've come to. Um, you know, as we move along, right? And, and as a mom, you have to hope that there's progress happening in our in our culture and our society and and there, there really is right and an organization like yours is, is a great example of that just this willingness to sort of um broaden our perspectives and it's just amazing to be part of yeah yeah well thank you i'm so yeah anyways thank you um so uh okay i'm gonna be honest i have so much stress about pronouncing this <laughs> even though i've said it probably thousands of times but um 
tell us a little bit, you know, you gave us a little introduction already, but tell us a little bit more about Matakuye Owasan. That's super close. Yeah. Um, it's uh, the more funny. of a sneeze that it sounds like, the better closer you get to the real pronunciation. So, yeah, uh, we have a lot of glottal stops in Lakota. So, uh, Mitake Oyasin is a philosophical way of being. And uh, it's it's um, as I grow older and learn more about my own culture, which I you know plan and know I will be doing until I die, right? And even beyond that, probably. Uh, Mitakyo Yasin infuses every part of our daily lives. Um, and, and really it has to, if we're looking at say something like land back as practice versus just like a poem <laughs> on a page. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's the literal and basic, super basic translation to English is we're all related or all my relatives. Uh, but of course it's so much more than that, right? Uh, so much is lost in the translation of that. It's, it's, it's not, it's not words of, of sort of just letters and, and spacing. It's um, it's it's how you interact with the living things around you, and everything is alive. So that's the you know your your family, you know, uh, all family, extended family, the family you make. It's uh, the 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 land that you're on and taking care of and is taking care of you. It's um, it's uh, uh, the your non-human relatives, the the whether they're the three cats that I have in my home or the feral cats outside that we take care of, or um, even just, uh, you know, the, the, the wildlife around you. And it's, um, it's time. It's an understanding that we're related to the time around us. Um, and a lot of indigenous folks, the way this comes across uh, is, you know, it's more of a joke at this point, but it's, the more you look into it, it's, um, it's not a joke, right? It's very serious. It's, uh, uh, we call it Indian time. Uh, and, uh, and that's the joke, but I'm trying to get more into a framework of like sacred time. You know, uh, Western society has us on a schedule, right? Like you have to do X, Y, Z by a certain amount of time. You have to be, you know, at the webinar at three, you have to uh, go to work by 8 a.m. And then, you know, 5 p.m. is when you can go back to yourself. And it's like, oh, that's so exhaustive, right? Um, and the sacred time concept is very much to say things happen when they're supposed to. Um, and uh, that doesn't mean you're not accountable to people, right? If you say you're going to do something, that's totally different than saying like, uh, you know, I'm going to type this report by 8.30 and then I'll have my break and then I'll do X, Y, Z. So um, that's something I'm still trying to wrap my head around, uh, raised by a military father. That's just a hard line that sometimes I'm like, if I'm not early, I'm late. And I have to sort of reframe and rewire that that perception um, because it's not healthy, right? Um, in a lot of ways, it's it's very toxic. Um, even our relationship, Mitakyo Yasin, though, also goes into like our understanding of language and how we communicate with each other, um, because that's also building relationships. And that doesn't necessarily mean necessarily have to mean things like, you know, I say one thing and you respond back to me. It's our body language. It's that, um, you know, to break it down, you know, it's those five love languages, right? Um, you know, the acts of, of, of giving or, um, you know, uh, the, the, the statements of caregiving, right? I love you or I'm showing you something. Anyway, those are all, and then more are all examples of that mitake oyasin in action. And um, as an as a organization that's, you know, committed to, you know, building relationships and strengthening relationships and uplifting relationships to land, uh, and and earth, right? Um, I felt like that's something you guys could really wrap your heads around, maybe more than other folks could. So 
Um, uh, I think one thing about Mitakyo Yasa though is it's not enough to just stop at one thing. It has to permeate your entire existence or it's for nothing. Um, and that's hard. <laughs> that's super hard, right? I've got a 401k I need to keep putting money into, right? Um, and so Mitakyo Yasin can really um, conflict with some of those uh, um, uh, some of those uh, necessities, I guess, that Western culture has uh, really placed upon us. Um, and so um, a big piece of my message is do the best you can with what you have. And that's all we can really do as humans. Um, but I think if we're doing that much, then it's probably pretty cool, probably pretty good what we're doing. You know, and so that means like, you know, if you're making, if you're cultivating earth for foods, make sure you're sharing those foods with your neighbors, right? That's mitakyo yasen, that's giving to your relatives, whoever that might be. And that those neighbors might be the birds, right? They might be the wildlife around you and it could be the folks that live across the street from you too. Um, it's, uh, you know, being graceful and having, you know, enough humility to not judge people if they're late <laughs> for something, right? Um, and understanding that they made it right eventually and that's enough um it's allowing the youth in your life uh you know allowing them to, to into your into your into your spaces so that they know that they're included there it's too many young people are being excluded for whatever reason right oh they don't understand uh you know they're treating the land terribly well, maybe they haven't had the lessons you've had you know and it's our responsibility as a hopefully elders in training, right? <laughs> um, some of you are already at the elder stage and I respect and honor you. Um, but some of us like me, you know, we're still learning. And so it's a part of that give back piece. Land back is, is Mitakyo Yasin. Um, and land back isn't necessarily a, a slogan, a trend slogan, as a lot of people think it might be. It's, it's literally giving land back. And a lot of that is educating folks about the land that we're on. And that's 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 giving them back too. So I, I know I'm, I'm I could go on and on about Mitaki Yasin because it's so much a part of our stuff in daily practice, though, right? And you guys are already doing a lot of that. This organization that you have, uh, again, cultivating and protecting um, uh, here in Phoenix, a big way we do that because we're in a mega urban zone, right? Like you really gotta go searching if you want to find some non-concrete land. Um, uh, but uh, we do um, cleanups every other weekend or so, uh, whenever they're offered. Um, we have some amazing landscapes here that, um, you know, whether people are trashing it themselves or it's just something that's coming down river, you know, from another place, um, we're constantly picking up trash. Um, and we go through a group called Keep Nature Wild. Um, and uh, that gives us a lot of um, purpose and intention behind Mitake Oyatsen. Every day we're smudging. Um, smudging for us looks like um, burning sage with prayer. That's sort of um, the action behind smudging. A lot of folks um, who are non-native will do this as well. And I just caution that you're not buying sage from places that are, um, uh, what's a gentle way to say this? And the, when, when sage is sold, it's extractive in a, in a harmful way to the earth. Um, uh, I've never purchased sage. Um, I'm privileged enough to have folks that'll gift it to me. And the lessons I've been taught about it is, uh, it goes back into intention of energy, right? That sharing of energy. If someone's selling sage, the energy behind that is often based in commodification. It's based in earning a profit. It's not really good energy to have because it's not energy that's at you. That's, that's targeting your wellness and your health. 
which is really what sage is all about and smudging is all about. Um, so I really encourage you if you do use sage in your life that um, you try to find a way that you cultivate it on your own. And it's a, it grows very prolifically. I mean, it's uh, earth will give us what we need, right? And sage is one of those things. Um, if you can't cultivate it on your own, really try to, you know, find a place where you can do like some kind of trade with somebody so that you're giving something in return. Um, when we go and harvest sage, there's always a gift given back to the earth. And for Lakota people, it's often tobacco. And it's just saying thanks, right? And it's not taking too much. And it's not um, like we never will say, oh, there's a whole area of sage right here and just take it all, right? That's um, that's not sustainable. So um, California white sage is uh, where a lot of indigenous folks uh, is endangered, right? Uh, there are elders I've spoken to who can no longer go to the places that their ancestors once went to and find sage there because it's just all gone. <laughs> there's there's no nothing left, uh, and that's that's not okay. So um, I actually did a webinar with um, uh, some folks in uh, Dublin, um, and I'm not even gonna try to do their accent, even though it's really cool. But they um, started talking about things that they smudged in their ancestral histories, and um, they talked about like lavender and rosemary. And um, and how bundles of that were doing essentially the same thing spiritually for them that Sage does for Indigenous folks here and, and on Turtle Island. And I thought that was so, um, again, going back to like in, intention and purpose and what Mitake Oyasin really is about um, and, and uh, speaking back to your ancestors. I mean, if you have plants in your own ancestral histories that are meaningful to you, that's going to that's going to do what Sage does. Right. Um, and um, and again cultivating in a way that's sustainable in a way that's not focused on profit it's going to be your best bet to ensure that that energy transmission is really beneficial not just to you but to the earth that we're so that we need to protect right again lots of really big information there but um hopefully that gets you started on maybe thinking about how you uh how that relationship with land looks to you Thank you. There is so much there that you just shared with us. And as you said, also, I'm very much aware that that's not even a scratch on the surface of this incredibly huge um, way of being. And uh, and I just want to say, because you were saying so much about uh, White Sage, that, yeah, we, we really discourage people from um, purchasing White Sage and um, and if you want to, to smudge with White Sage, then to grow your own. And I'm in Pennsylvania, and I did I, you know, I can grow white sage here, um, but also we, we recommend mugwort because mugwort's a huge plant that just grows so prolifically that we, um, I'm sure we can, I'm sure we can figure out a way of over harvesting. <laughs> we seem to like be able to do that, but right now with mugwort, they're just so generous and also really great and, and really allow white sage to grow for, like you said, those indigenous elders that this is very sacred and important to them. Um, so yes, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I'm looking in the in the chat too, and you know, the, there was a comment about white sage doesn't grow in the eastern U.S. Um, and and um, yeah, no, I, and actually, I'm in Southwest um, where we can get white sage if needed, and a lot of people use it, but I I don't. Um, it's not part of my Lakota culture to use white sage, and <laughs> we use a, a prairie sage that's a little bit more pungent. Um, a little bit more um, earthy, if you will. And it's, I mean, white sage is beautiful, right? When people smudge with that, you're like, oh, right. There's a reason people love it. Um, kind of Palo Santo-ish, right? right. Um, very sweet. And, um, but the prairie sage, where I'm from, um, 
like it's a, does just a little bit different, right? And the ways and protocols around it are just are are set to our ancestral health and well-being. So um, really, really try to utilize you know what my my folks have taught me. Um, and and again, go back to if you have something in your family that's meaningful, um, you know, really try to research that. And um, and I think you just find tons of healing. Mugwort, like you mentioned, Jen, is fantastic. Um, a friend of mine made a, a healing tea and mugwort was a big part of it. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, beyond just like the feeling of having someone make me that that tea blend, um, it was also like the physical benefits there were like, oh, my joints feel very nice today. <laughs> um, you know, and so the, man, the, the earth will heal us if we let it and again, if we're intentional and purposeful about it, I think that uh, relationship in our brains really start um, opening up those pathways and um, we start communicating better uh, with what Earth is able to give us too. So, so um, again, you offered so much there and I'm like, oh, there's so many different ways. But, but you know, the title of this talk is hashtag land back based on your poem. And you mentioned land back. And so... Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but also in your poem, are you, are you going to read the poem for us? Would you like me to? I have yes, it. Please. I have yes, it bookmarked. It. Yes. It's one of my uh, smaller poems. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, and this gets back to the idea that, um, you know, we're, we're all humans and we're all trying our best. Um, and for me, that's, um, you know, I'm a work in, pro I'm a work in progress guys. And uh, and so is my relationship with the land too, um, especially considering that I'm sort of an expat of my own uh, uh, my own country, really, right? Um, and when I say I'm a citizen of the Shine River Sioux Tribe, I literally have a citizenship card uh, that I can fly across the country with. It's a federally recognized ID, um, but I'm not there and I'm not by my family. And so uh, learning about what it is to be Lakota can be kind of a uh, um, fraught with a uh, uh, the lack of knowledge and the lack of um, people to go to for that knowledge. And so while I'm here in Phoenix, um, the lands of the Ottoman Pipash people, I also work for the tribe, um, and, uh, the Ottoman Pipash folks here in the valley. Um, it's really important that I um, understand this land that I'm on, right? This space that I'm occupying, <laughs> it's not my ancestral land. Um, and that's something I always encourage other folks to do too. A lot of folks will start with like a land acknowledgement, um, which is fine. I think that's a good place to start. I don't usually because uh, I'm more about land action. <laughs> um, and if you can pick up the trash around you, if you can cultivate, say, the lavender, uh, that's your ancestral land. Or, or, or maybe you grow your own white sage, right? Like, oh, like that's power right there. Um, and that's, that's, I think, more, holds us more accountable to the land than an than a land acknowledgement does, right? Um, but I do encourage you, if you don't know, you know, look to see who your land's indigenous people are. And you can learn tons about the, just the plant and animal species that are around. Um, just as a sidebar, I'm gonna get to the poem, I promise. Um, as a sidebar, um, when I first moved to Phoenix, uh, seven years ago now, um, I mean, it's the, it's the desert, right? it's hot. <laughs> And I made the comment while in a community space, we were we were planning an event um, and I was with some autumn folks and said, just offhandedly, oh, it's hot, right? Cause 120 degrees guys, it gets pretty hot here. Um, and uh, uh, I said it in such a way that I wasn't like, like I was like, oh, it's hot, no. 
And uh, one of my peers looked at me and, and she's Atam and she goes, well, leave then. And um, she didn't say it in a mean way. And she didn't say it in a way that was like uh, trying to be, uh, you know, aggressive or anything. She was literally telling me like, you can complain about this land you're on, but you're also a guest here. And my people have lived here for since time immemorial, right? And we made it work. <laughs> um, so you can learn to do that, right? Uh, we welcome you to do that. But if you're going to complain, you know, there's the door. And it was such a humbling moment, right? Because I can speak about, you know, being Lakota and from South Dakota uh, all day. But uh, I, have, I have no right to talk about, like, this land in a way that's like, oh, it's hot. Like, who? How dare I? <laughs> um, and so I really tried to commit myself to learning about uh, the indigenous plants here and how much life is sustained by the desert, right? We think of, tend to think of the de desert as empty and it is not empty. I mean, I can just walk outside and the things that grow prolifically are the things that they would smudge with, like um, oh, like a creosote bush, um, called shagai here, um, secretes that sort of um, the smell of after rain, sort of that petrichor smell, gorgeous plant. And if you dry it, uh, you can turn it into a salve. It's a fantastic tea. Um, um, like just so much can happen with this one little plant. So um, anyway, so land back for me, this poem is sort of an expression of like finding my way back to the land, if you will, not necessarily the land to me. So, all right, without further ado, this is hashtag land back. I've been trying to connect with the land my whole life, but I've never had the language to do so. Speaking with the land is a puzzle, colonialism scattered across generations. And it's likely my great-grandchildren will still be picking up the pieces. So I pick up trash with my family. We spend weekends and holidays amid public parks and open spaces dismantling rubbish. We collect the fragments of humanity cigarette butts, wrappers, and plastic, always plastic. We fill bags and bags and it never feels like enough. So we leave the best of ourselves, service and prayer, the same things really for the land. At home, we pick up seeds, hold them like fragile wishes before sending them back into the earth. Plant medicine introduced by elders, friends, and digital talking circles, sage and sweet grass, cedar and tobacco, greasewood and prickly pear, and the three sisters merging our bodies and spirits. I pick up their names with my heart, their syllables uttered like a prayer, practicing in Lakota and other indigenous languages that others have the patience to teach me. Pejiota and Wachaha, Afe and Chankli, Fugai and Nowi, Wagmisa, Omnicha and Wagmu. My tongue scatters their sounds, clumsy with Western habits. They listen regardless. I've managed to pick up a few pieces of the puzzle, admiring the history of sparkling stones, thumbing the arboric braille of bark, caressing secrets from leaves and petals, sharing blood thorned from pricked skin, dark soil sifting through fingers, searching for stories. I thank the land for their gift of being and make it promises I hope to fulfill. We don't yet know the other's language, so I smile, and a week or a month later, blooms smile back at me. I sing them ceremony songs and Broadway hits, 
to let them know who I am. We are relatives. I want the land back, yes, but even more, I want the land to want me back. Each the other's missing piece, our jigsaw edges fitting together in a long-awaited embrace. Mm. And the artwork that goes with this is pretty awesome, my kiddo. Use the imagery of jigsaw and use the state of South Dakota, which of course is all Ochiti Shakui land, and um, plug the heart space where Cheyenne River would be located right in the middle. I think it's pretty awesome. Thank you, Tate. Yes. And the artwork is also on our website for your event page. So people who are listening, you can see it there because it's, it, yeah, the artwork's gorgeous. Um, and also I just love that, that line of, I want the land to want me back, each other's missing piece. It's, it's really beautiful. And uh, the poem um, just puts that little spin on land back. It's like, oh, right. That's really what this is all about. It's really like, getting back to, to the land. Yeah, what relationships have you built that would even make the land want you back? <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely a, a humbling, hopefully, uh, acknowledgement that uh, we'll have work to do for sure. Yeah, so, um, so for those listening, we, in conjunction with our talk today, we are doing a fundraiser and the fundraiser is to um, buy books to not just any books, <laughs> but Tate's uh, Trickster Riot's book, poetry book. And, um, and we are donating them to a really fantastic organization that uplifts and empowers Lakota uh, indigenous youth. And it's the Cheyenne River Youth Project. And so Tate, can you tell us more about this project, please? Yes, oh, it's so near and dear to my heart and I'm so glad you guys were interested in doing this fundraiser. Um, so uh, Cheyenne River Youth Project has been in existence on my tribal lands uh, for decades now. It's run by a fabulous uh, we are woman named um, Julie Garrow, who's a great friend just basically because of all the great work she does. I have a lot of uh, young relatives who have gone through the Shine River Youth Project and uh, have come out thriving at, at the end of it. It's got a ton of different, um, I guess, uh, platforms and ways that it engages youth because if you've been a young person, <laughs> which we all have, you know that not just one way works, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so they do things um, from uh, artwork, of course, um, to uh, homework help and tutoring, um, you know, getting them interested in uh, public speaking, uh, understanding the legislature, um, understanding the laws and government. But um, one of the best things I do, I think, is um, uh, their, their community garden, which um, is huge, first of all, and is open to anyone um, on the res. Uh, and they produced uh, just tons and tons of produce, right? Uh, um, and it's, uh, they've, they've been really intentional the last couple of years of doing um, like indigenous, uh, uh, like the corn bean squash three sisters, um, uh, learning how to use um, choke cherries in, in multiple ways. For instance, um, uh, there's a fantastic uh, turnip slash potato type uh, plant called um, tinkshila. Uh, I, I, I actually don't know what it's, uh, what it's, what its non-native name is, but it's it's fantastic and it grows prolifically throughout South Dakota and it's super yummy and soups and stews and can be dried 
so that, uh, you know, through winter it's useful. So anyway, they teach youth how to utilize these um, in their daily lives, which I think is, uh, you know, as uh, I, I didn't have that growing up. Um, and now that I'm trying to relearn how to do a lot of that, uh, you know, I wish I had had uh, early exposure to those kinds of things. Um, but they also do um, things like poetry workshops and writing workshops. And every summer they do this really cool um, oh, event called Red Can Graffiti Jam. And that's sort of a little now more of what they're known for because they bring in graffiti artists from across Turtle Island. I think they've even brought in uh, indigenous folks from like Philippines and uh, Pacific Islands um, and uh, like Australia and New Zealand. And um, they come in and they just work with youth on how to express themselves visually through artwork. Um, and that's grown into like poetry slams. Um, so uh, next year it'll be Red Can Graffiti Jam and Poetry Slam. What? Anyway, and so I'm going to be part of that. But I'm actually, because of this fundraiser that you guys are doing, they've asked me to come and help distribute the books. Um, and so we'll be doing some uh, a poetry workshop in November uh, where we'll give away the books and um, uh, uh, just start working on you know, healing poetry. There's a uh, sadly this time of year from really the start of school to the end of end of winter is um, some really traumatic history, historical events that have happened, especially for Lakota uh, and other Ochedi Shakowi peoples. Um, uh, massacres, uh, <laughs> Thanksgiving, um, you know, Columbus Day, which is now uh, Indigenous Peoples Day in a lot of places. Um, and so hopefully a book like this can help um, I hope help inspire indigenous youth that's dedicated to queer indigenous youth specifically. Um, and um, the workshop will be uh, in conjunction, not just with youth, but there'll be a family component too, um, with the hope that, uh, you know, we can again, start some healing conversations. Um, Wonderful. You can, you can help us do that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think um, for those on the call, uh, Alicia put the, information in the chat, but also for those listening later, you can go to our website and on Tate's event page, um, there's a link there and I'm sure we'll put that in with the podcast too. So uh, please do, please donate because I think uh, it's important to get these books. I mean, as you said, you, you dedicate it to queer indigenous youth and, um, and it, poetry is such a, such a uh, potential for healing for children. And also I heard you say this in a talk and I was just like, yes, that was my experience too, that, you know, our teachers, like, I, I feel like the way poetry is taught in schools these days is horrible. <laughs> and I'm um, just kind of, so I'm trying to get people to get back into like, write poems, you can do it. Everybody can write poems. And, and it's just such a beautiful expression of really love, but also all emotions. It's such a healing um, aspect. And so, yeah, so. I love that you said that because yeah, my uh, I, I wasn't I mentioned I'm, I'm a journalist by trade, but I um I've been writing poems since I was a kid, right? Just little pieces and snippets of things that uh, you know, meant something. I was passionate enough to put it to paper, right? Um, and in high school, I had just a terrible experience with a teacher that really just shut down that whole even just desire to write creatively. Um, and so uh, yeah, this has been sort of a journey back to myself in that way too. And if you're interested in poetry, I mean, honestly, the land gives us so much um, to be passionate about. I mean, just uh, you know, even just looking in your comments about some of the things that you guys know and understand to be, you know, ancestrally connected to yourselves, lavender and thyme and rosemary. I'm looking at all these cool things you guys have listed, and yes, um, you know, that's poetry in action, right? You're feeling that poetry with the relationship with land that you're cultivating. 
um, and, and let it happen. Um, I also try to um, emphasize that poetry doesn't have to be just words to paper. Um, the, the artwork my kiddo uh, produced for this is just, uh, that's poetry happening visually. Um, like, like I mentioned, uh, you know, working with folks who have a passion for land, um, when, when I see them sort of raise up, you know, a corn stalk, right, and the beans are wired throughout, and there's some squash coming down and preventing pests from coming up the stalks, like, that's poetry, <laughs> um, just happening right in front of us, so, um, yeah, I just really get to, uh, dis dis dissatisfied with sort of the canon of how, say, the like academics and educational structures sort of push poetry on us like it is dead white guys who can rhyme <laughs> and it's like I mean there's space for that for sure but there's space for so much more um and so with youth I, I try to get them out of this uh has to rhyme has to be you know short has to be uh something that uh, everyone universally can get to I've been part of some really great workshops and I think one of the best advices I have I've been given one of the best say lessons I've taken is that the more detailed and like personal you can get the better the poetry sounds because it's coming from you right it's not about oh I think I think people really want this I mean that might work for some folks but I don't think it's going to work long term it's not a sustainable poetry method because at the end of the day it has to be something you've done for yourself um, and if you're following Mintake Oyasin, that self is part of the whole, right? Um, and if uh, you can you can say a poem like Lamb Back, right? That's dedicated to all these spaces that I'm trying to sort of do better with, with you know, picking up the land here, uh, picking up tracks on the land here that I'm a guest on, um, to uh, learning the names, right? Just learning the indigenous names and it's not necessarily Lakota names, um, the poem also references like like the greasewood or um, saguaro and how those um, how often people call them right. Um, learning those names is part of my my practice of land back. So yeah, I'll stop there because I could just keep going. Poetry is so magical. <laughs> Thank you. So I want to get I want to have time for um, to open up for questions because I'm guessing that there are some. Uh, but I have a I have a big question um, that maybe you could at least give us a little bit of a snippet. So you talk a lot, of course, about decolonizing and also also looking back to to the past. Like, what if the what if um, Christopher Columbus, you know, didn't happen, or what if the treaties were honored? So I'm curious for moving forward. What what is your view of like what's your vision for this world? How do you see it? How can we have a decolonized world? Like what does what does it look like? Feel like? Yeah. Uh. So th that's a big question because uh, even within indigenous circles, decolonization has sort of fallen flat. Like as a, as even just a term, right? How we understand decolonization. What does that mean? Um. And and yeah. And just like land back, right? That it, which is like a rallying call for a lot of indigenous uh, movement spaces. Land back. And yet, as you say it, you're like, but what does it mean? <laughs> um. And so I really try to dig down into the daily practices of these these super huge concepts. Um. And and really, when you look at Mitakyo Yasin as philosophy way of life like you start understanding that there are so many more intersections than there are separations of just all of us. Um, you know, a space like this connects us and it's digital, right? Um, and that's why I mentioned like digital talking circles of, of knowledge, right? Because it's, that's sharing, that's, that's Mitako Yasin in action. That's 
that's land this is land back happening right um and um and, and land action we're not versus land acknowledgement so decolonization as a philosophical academic term is literally the rejection of of colonization now uh depending on who you ask that can mean things like you know we're gonna cut off electricity and we're gonna stop paying bills and we're gonna live off the grid and we've seen that not work very well for a lot of folks <laughs> um because uh you know um, looking back doesn't mean, say, turning back a clock, right? Uh, one of the poems I have is called Critical Remembrance, um, and it's um, it's dedicated and inspired by the 1868 Treaty of Fort Laramie, uh, which when I was a kid or even just in college learning about this treaty, the the conversation tends to fall on like, oh, these natives, they got swindled and uh, you know, white people just, you know, were terrible and ah, colonization. Um, but when you actually look at the history of this treaty, you start uh, finding and peeling back layers of how this was like, this was Native people really getting what they want. This was my people, the Ochedi Shakui, getting a, a piece of land that was like the size of Spain and 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 like negotiating and using colonized systems of courts and, and laws and winning. I mean, this was a, this was a, a win for us because uh, we negotiate. I mean, where other tribes really did get some terrible treatment through treaties, this treaty was um, uh, uh, um, recognized uh, Treaty Shakui sovereignty um, and and played a um, a role in how other treaties were developed. And really, what's the start of? United States government going, maybe we should rethink this because I think we're giving a lot of land away that we shouldn't be, um, uh, which is, you know, terrible uh, in terms of a uh, uh, result. But uh, for us, uh, when we look at this treaty, it's uh, um, a fascinating look at just uh, uh, how how intuitive we were with the, with the land we were trying to get back. So anyway, in that poem, though, I also talk about what would it be like? What, what am I looking at if I say like, oh, like I want, I wish there wasn't colonialism, um, and I don't really know how. And that's kind of the, the 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 theme of the poem is like I don't. I'm looking. I'm always going to be looking at that stuff uh, with a colonized lens because that's the world I'm brought up in. I really can't take myself out of colonization because I don't know any other way. Um, you know, I can read about it, but even that, just reading about it, right? I'm reading stuff in English. That's colonized language. Um, you know, and I'm writing poems in English, right? So um, uh, a lot of people, when I talk about like, uh, you know, ancestral teachings or like going back to indigenous eating ways or uh, cultivating, say, uh, plants that are indigenous to the area, lowercase i, indigenous to the area. Um, you know, I always get folks that are like, yeah, well, you're using technology and that's colonized and you're using cell phones and you're wearing denim jeans. And I'm like, look, 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 look. <laughs> Decolonization isn't isn't a, a total eraser of what we have now. It's understanding that we can be harmonious with what's around us, but we refuse to be, right? Like, uh, it's the pandemic, I think, was sort of a, a peak, right, of what was possible with stuff like, oh, we'll stop having people pay student loans. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, well, you know, the things that we thought were just so necessary. Oh, we're going to have people come into work every day at a certain time. You know, and then, and, oh, there's work from home options. Okay. Um, you know, that like all these things that are sort of just like, uh, uh, you know, we, we were, we're made to believe there's no other way. And, and there is. Um, and that starts with your daily 
your daily practices. So for us in our house, you know, <laughs> while we also use a microwave sometimes, right? Or while we also, you know, we'll sometimes buy fast food, we're really intentional about also cultivating uh, indigenous foods here, right? Um, uh, how, how do we use um, saguaro fruit, right? In our daily uh, smoothies, um, how do we harvest in a way that's uh, sustainable to um, not just other saguaros being born, but also the animal uh, relatives who need to use saguaro fruit to live and survive too? Um, you know, these are all questions we try to be purposeful and intentional about, ask, about asking. Um, how do we support financially indigenous uh, institutions like, say, Shrine River Youth Project or um, here locally, there's a, um, a birth collective that teaches indigenous uh, understandings of, um, of uh, you know, body and, and, and uh, rebirth and um, even not being pregnant, right? Um, how, do we, how do we support those things? Um, and so that's all decolonization happening within my own life, right? And I and I wish I could say I could, uh, you know, instruct other people and in, in, in better ways and how to do that. But it all starts with you and your relationships that you're trying to build and cultivate. I think, and I'm hoping <laughs> that with these daily practices, I'm also connecting to the next generations, right? I have my kiddo that I hope will bring those practices with them as they grow up. I'm hoping that the youth I work with on the tribe that I'm able to work for, I'm hoping I can imbue uh, practices and um, perspectives with them uh, that they can take with them later too. That the elders I work with feel confident that the knowledge they share with me is gonna be used, say for instance, in a space like this, where we can do good, right? As we learn about ourselves and the earth around us. So decolonization, big, big, big stuff. And that's great. But I also encourage you to be intentional with, with the stuff in your daily lives. Um, a lot of you have already um, talked about in the comments how, you know, the plants that you cultivate, um, you know, and, and you're intentional about those things. And that's decolonization happening right there, right? Um, I think if you look at it from a non-Indigenous there's lots of ways to look at this. Um, and for non-Indigenous people, um, you know, I think about, say, like the feminist movement, right? And how a lot of the early incarnations of feminism were really based on, like, bringing women out of the home, which is fine, you know, whether it comes from, like, capitalism perspectives or, um, you know, not having to work a farm, right? A lot of that stuff was pulling women out of the dirt, right? And, um, uh uh, Winona LaDuke, uh, who's Ojibwe um, from White Earth, has done some amazing work around like indigenous feminisms and how like, you know, why was it that early feminism made dirt dirty, right? It was a negative thing. Um, and a lot of indigenous reclamation and a lot of like intersectional feminism today is is trying to reclaim that that relationship with the land that was kind of taken out of context, I think. Uh, with some of these early movements or the mid 1900s movements um, that uh, really framed us, right? Like my feminism was <laughs> in, inferred, you know, in college by a lot of these early, you know, mid-century uh, feminists that um, I had to relearn. I had to learn to unlearn, if you will. So um, speaking of that, I wanted to share some other resources with you that kind of look at this decolonization piece a little bit more academic than a poetry book would, but informs a lot of the work that I do, whether it's poetry or speaking to folks like you. So 
um, going into that Mitakyo Yasin piece, there's this fantastic, let's see if I can get that in there. Whew. Uh, Restoring the Kinship Worldview. It just came out and it's an anthology of just amazing thinkers, academic thinkers. Um, and it's uh, uh, all kinds of stuff. I have a couple, I haven't read the whole thing straight through. Um, no pun intended. Um, but there's um, chapter 19 is Laws of Nature as Highest Rules for Living by Winona LaDuke. Um, and she really talks about a lot of this uh, decolonization stuff as a daily practice, right? And so it's, we can really get, I think, dislodged from our goals <laughs> if we think too big, right? It just becomes too much and overwhelming. And why I say stuff like we do the best we can with what we have because today's best might look different from yesterday's or tomorrow's. And if you're doing your best today, that's enough. You are enough. Um, anyway, and then, so that's a, that's a great one. So it's Restoring the Kinship Worldview. Editors are Waikpe Topa and Darcy Navarez. Um, hopefully we can get someone to post that link up. Another great one um, is Vine Deloria Jr., the Kota philosopher. Um, God is Red, which really looks and explores and sort of dissects how Christianity um, has uh, uh, really colonized a lot of our views of land right um and how if we can i mean christian i think there's space for christianity full stop period right i'm a recovering catholic as it were uh but i also see that there's a lot of great can be a lot of great um knowledge inferred from things like biblical works um but if you're really looking at land connection you gotta you gotta question and um, sort of challenge and disrupt some of those narratives that have worked to disconnect us from the land. God is Red is a really great uh, uh, book that'll help you sort of see that, especially from an indigenous lens. He's phenomenal and he has a ton of other books that I recommend. Sadly passed away uh, early aughts, but um, his stuff is timeless. Oh, kind of going into that too, uh, something I just got a hold of uh, two years ago, but it came out I think four or five years ago. White Trash um, by, uh, what was this, Nancy uh, Eisenberg. Um, fantastic book that looks at sort of the creation of uh, classism and racism uh, in the United States, specifically the United States Project. There's some early chapters here about how, how colonists used and um, like packaged the land as a woman to be dominated, right? Like uh, uh, even just the imagery that was used and this stuff I like, I maybe kind of heard about, but I had no idea. And there's some really great passages of how in order to subjugate the land and encourage men specifically to come over, they would use uh, really hypersexualized um, methods of like, like, oh, you want to get some piece of this land, right? And, and, and like, really, really um, disgusting ways to do that. Um, but we still do that today when we commodify land products. Um, and when we think of like extractive industries, it's very much rooted in violence against the feminine. feminine. Um, anyway, so this is a great book. It's not a native author, but uh, really talks a lot about like indigenous uh, ways of knowing that were disrupted. Um, and I mean, and in a lot of ways erased by colonization. And then uh, finally, and I have so many others, but this is a, another one that sort of falls into this Mitako Yasin uh, and like decolonization aspect is The Inconvenient Indian, fabulous book. This is probably of the 
of the three, four that I'm sharing with you, this is probably the most accessible in terms of like language and understanding. He really writes for a non-academic audience um, and uh, is, is super easy to get through and wrap your head around, especially with that decolonization um, aspect, right? Because that could be really huge <laughs> and there's a lot of academia on it. Uh, but this is really a breakdown uh, in ways that are, um, yeah, accessible in ways that are easy to to sort of say, oh, I can do that in my daily life for sure. So, yeah, hopefully these help you sort of wrap your head even more uh, around uh, some of these concepts we've been talking about today and um, help you on your journeys. And there's also, if you haven't, and maybe someone's already said in the notes, but Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Like I actually listened to that on Audible because um, or audiobook because she uh, narrates the book and is just so like it's it's almost like a, a I don't know a prayer if you will in book form because it's just like yeah, yeah. so um, I didn't have I think I lent it out to someone because I didn't see it on my my library today but um, totally recommend that one too. Yeah, it's a beautiful book, and um, and I'm a little disappointed. I thought you were gonna like solve everything around decolonizing oh. <laughs> today. <laughs> Here's the five ways that we can do it now. Yeah, disrupt. <laughs> I mean, but we're getting close to voting season, right? That's decolonization that we have to recommend to. Uh, I mean, and as much as the voting system is really um uh not the best it could be, right? Um, uh, try to be diplomatic there. Um. It's still a great way to put your, put, put, put your money where your mouth is, especially getting folks who say, think like us in ways that protect lands. Too many of the folks in Arizona are all about mining projects still. I mean, even our liberal uh, you know, candidates are super into like oil and gold and copper, right? Arizona's full of copper mines. Um, and especially on, in, in, on indigenous lands, um, a statistic that the United Nations um, uh, we'll put out a lot and it's it's fascinating to read up on if you're interested but 90% uh, of the world's biodiversity is led and protected by indigenous peoples that's ridiculously like what 90% of the world's biodiversity like that's um and I feel like that's probably a low number <laughs> um so when you talk about like things that happen to the land uh, in terms of like violence against the land that is interchangeably violence against indigenous people. So when you talk about voting, really look at what, 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 where your candidates stand on things like, uh, you know, protecting uh, and land and having sustainable methods of energy, things like that. Well, thank you, Tate. I want to give um, space because there's so much here. But if anybody has a question, maybe maybe just one like really great question, maybe two, but chances are <laughs> gonna be a lot. I'm sure of it. Um, uh, I was gonna ask you something while we were looking. Oh, here we. Oh, Carolyn, good. You raised your hand earlier, so I'm gonna ask you to unmute, and you can. Okay, thank you. I'm sorry. I probably can't stick to one. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> so I am Salagi, Eastern Band Cherokee, living on the sacred uh, Suquamish tribes land, people of the clear salt water. I've been here for 22 years. I work with both of the tribes in the area on fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and do a lot of cultural training for 
government workers and so forth. So I'm just so appreciative of all the things you've talked about. You brought up so many issues, decolonization. Um, I have grandsons who are Winkte, so I'm really happy to hear about working with youth and I know they need so much support. Um, Metakwe Oyasin. So many, many years ago, I was privileged to sit with Wallace Black Elk and Martin Hybear, who are mm -hmm. both passed on Lakota elders, who taught me how to say it. <laughs> I'm not sure I still say it correctly. But, um, you know, one of the things that happened is I also was being taught about the 16 aspects of Wakantanka, and Shkan is one of them, which is, I think, loosely translated as sacred movement. And I was told to go in my backyard and just contemplate shkan. Well, that, in native teaching, I'm sure you've experienced this, they don't explain things very deeply. And so I'm in the backyard and I'm looking at everything and I realize that every morning I'm out there, and I'm doing like the queen's wave. Oh, hello, my relatives, hello, my relatives. <laughs> And it just hit me that the deeper meaning, which you did such a beautiful job about uh, expanding on, is not just we're relatives, we are in relationship. And when I finally really recognized that my whole spiritual path changed and I realized, wow, when you're in relationship, you have a responsibility. It's suddenly an exchange. It's not a recognition. Oh, hello, my relatives. It's who are you? I'm looking at trees I'm surrounded by and realizing, do I know all of these trees? Do I know how they flourish? You know, do I have that kind of information? And realized I didn't. Um, one question I do have is I was taught that traditionally, and my teachings have been more from Lakota people than my own, that really it was not sage that was burned to smudge, but cedar and sage was used to wrap your sacreds in. And I know you said uh, very wisely that all tribes have different, and I've experienced even within the Lakota nations, there's difference, but um, anyway, and we're growing our own sweet grass here because- Oh, yay. Yeah, and it's, it's too wet to grow the sage, but- I haven't been successful here in the valley. There's not <laughs> enough water for it. <laughs> but anyway, thank, just thank you so much yeah. for your wisdom. No, I think, um, yeah, no, I appreciate your comments. And um, I think uh, depending on who you ask, you're gonna find different ways of doing stuff, right? Um, in fact, just this last, uh, I was in South Dakota for the Festival of Books and my aunties came down, which is just a total shocker in the first place. Like these little Lakota aunties like, oh, we're coming. And I read my uh, my uh, super gay poem, I love tacos. <laughs> and they laughed and laughed, they loved it. Anyway, um, but they, we were talking about smudging and sand and stuff. And they're like, oh, you didn't do it with your shoes off. And you have to do the smudge underneath your feet. And I was like, all right, I'm almost 40 here. Like, you've never said that ever. <laughs> Like that was never a lesson you imparted to me. Uh, these and they were like, no, we just learned this too. And like, you know, and as we dissect texts that are written in English, right? And as we dissect translations that have been interpreted into English, usually by a, a non-native interpreter, right? We have to sort of, um, uh, you know, look at how these, how that translation happened, right? Um, you know, something like Winkta, right? Which a lot of um, queer, especially queer men in, 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 in Lakota will, will identify as like, like, what does that mean? <laughs> um, and how are you using it? And, and like someone like me who's more femme presenting, you know, Winkta isn't an appropriate term 
uh, for me to use. Um, you know, and so all these things that like we're still relearning, right? And that's why I like to say like learn to unlearn because <laughs> it really humbles you down. Um, and uh, I heard, I actually heard um, the same thing you were talking about with sage, right? Like we don't smudge with sage. Um, and someone said, we told that to the non Lakota so they'd stop taking our sage away. <laughs> anyway, so I thought that was funny because uh, I've never not seen smudge with sage. And there are, you know, for, for Lakota, more than like 12, 13 different uh, really great herbs and um, you know medicine plants to 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 smudge with um, that would be just as good as another if you didn't have one right because that's the point of spirituality and the point of like connecting with their ancestors isn't about certain specific protocol right because that would just totally undo the reason we try to connect with ancestors um, you know the ancestors aren't sitting there going well Tate didn't use the right sage to pray to me today so we're not gonna listen right and I have to believe that because otherwise I'd be like, man, I'm, I'm not doing anything right then, right? So um, I, I really think uh, that our ancestors and our relatives that are non-human listen to us um, if our intentions are, are, are where they need to be. So hope that helps. <laughs> thank you, Tate. And thank you. Um, well, Tate, I'm gonna wrap up. So do you have any other, um, you've offered so much here. And again, I knew this was gonna happen and I'm really frustrated because I really wanna talk to you for like 10 more hours at least. Um, so uh, any other um, offerings or words or anything that you want to speak um, before we close? I am just super grateful for the space. Wopilotanka, uh, many, many thanks because uh, I think too often we close ourselves off to new knowledge. You know, we know everything, um, you know, and, and just humbling ourselves down to new ways and new perspectives. And then understanding that a lot of what we already are doing is on the right path, right? Um, and just gathering that new information that'll help make that path stronger. Um, so I, I'm really grateful for the folks that are in this audience. The comments are amazing, um, love. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe there can be a thread on different uh, um, resources uh, on your website, you know, in terms of uh, some of these other uh, books by Indigenous authors. Um, next month is uh, Native American Heritage Month, which is a great time, like any month, by the way, <laughs> to um, sort of uh, wrap your arms around and embrace um, Indigenous perspectives in literature. Um, and so uh, if you follow me on Instagram uh, or even Facebook, um, I have a lot of those resources constantly in flow. Next month will be a really big um, um, intentional space of uh, highlighting indigenous uh, uh, authors um, and content creators. So if, if that's something um, you like to do, follow me there. Um, I'm gonna try to get it here. I see everyone here. Try to put it in the chat here. Um, so I'm on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, you can usually just Google me though or go to my website and find those links there. But uh, Walk Reimagining is sort of my my new space to occupy is uh, Instagram. Um, what else? Um, and I, I'm looking at some of the comments here and it looks like we've raised almost what we need to. We're looking at $500 for our goal for Shine River Youth Projects. Um, each book is gonna get into the hands of the Lakota youth. Um, and, and I think that's awesome. It's theirs, gonna be theirs to interact with uh, and engage with how they see fit. Um, and we'll have our workshop next month. Um, uh, talking about tricks riots with these youth. So if you have it in your heart and uh, space and capacity in your wallets to donate, every little bit helps. So thank you so much for what you've done already. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Tate. And Alicia just gave us an update that we're actually over 500. I just saw it. 520. 
And um, can we and get to six? That's right. So I know many people, actually the majority of people listen to the recording. And so if you're listening to the recording and you hear we already hit that goal, you know, please, if you feel called, still donate. Because yeah. It's still, we'll still give more books to the youth. And, um, and as I, I told the people earlier on this call that if we get somehow we magically have too many books for the for the Cheyenne Youth River Project to like they're like oh no please no more books then Tate will help us find other children oh, yeah. to give these yes. to. so um, yes thank you and thank you to all who donated um I think it's just such a sweet way of giving back and honoring the youth and and we didn't even get to talk about this but um Tate I know you have like a really long history of working with indigenous youth and um, and supporting them and uh, and also particularly helping to keep them from getting incarcerated. Um, for, so thank you for thank you for all the good work that you do in this world and um, and really for this beautiful book of poetry that um, we can just return to again and again and fill our hearts and feed our souls and also also encourage us to um, stand in our own integrity and um, and you know face those things that we've been trying to run away from and um, so thank you uh, thank and you. thank you everyone for joining us today and uh, again if you would like to learn more about Tate please visit their website at jtatewalker j-t-a-t-e walker.com and um, and again their Instagram is at walker imagining and on their website is the link to Trickster Riots. And you can also find their website through our website, natureevolutionaries.com. And I invite you to join us next month for our teleseminar on November 13th. It is Artistic Nature with Hillary Watchers Fail. And Hillary is just an incredible artist who focuses on the union of humanity and nature. Wow. Her artwork is oh. Takes a lot of patience. Um, anyways, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> so you'll be able to find this recording as well as all of our others on our website, um, which is again, natureevolutionaries.com as well as Spotify and Apple iTunes. And while visiting our website, I'm of course going to invite you to press the donate button. And that donate button is for one, it's not necessarily also press the, for this fundraiser, but your donations help us to continue to do our work of creating educational opportunities and listening to and building relationships with the living earth. And if you're not on our mailing list, please, you can join that on our website. We have uh, a really exciting upcoming opportunity that starts at the end of October. For the third year in a row, our director, Alicia Holliday and Hilary Giovale are running an ancestor circle. And um, it's just been a really profound healing experience for our members and a couple spaces remain. And let me just tell you, they upped the magic this year. There's some guest speakers that we're all just excited by. Uh, Lila June is one and uh, Yeye Louisa Tish is also another one. So they're just awesome, awesome um, people to be supporting that work. And then also uh, next week, October 21st to the 24th, our founder Pam Montgomery will be presenting at the upcoming Global Earth Repair Summit. So you can check that out too. And there's a lot of really great speakers there. So thank you for joining us. And until next time, may you recognize our more than human relatives and take the time to notice, honor them, give gratitude and soak in the beauty and love that surrounds us so that we can create this world where all our relatives thrive together. So thank you everyone, have a beautiful day.